So hello and welcome to another episode of the Odd Fellows Oddcast. And joining me today is brother, past grandmaster, past grand patriarch, uh, Peter Sellers. And he is going to be speaking with us today about different Odd Fellows swords. Um, and uh, Peter, I think that uh, the swords don't really come into play with anything with Odd Fellows. You'll correct me if I'm wrong until you are involved in what is called a canton. Is that right? Yeah, today it's a canton. Uh, they used to have swords in the encampment. Uh -huh. uh, and then we established a canton, I believe, uh, in the 1870s. I have the exact date here. And But um, yeah, we established a canton through uh, what was in uh, our Sovereign Grand Lodge uh, in the 1870s. And the swords were exclusively uh, used by the canton. Since now, that I remember you telling me something about how it is that 1870, uh, when the cantons were started, and by the way, cantons are an extension of like the encampment. Is that right? Uh, so at that time, it was more of an extension. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, now you don't have to uh, belong necessarily belong to the encampment mm -hmm. to join the Patriarchs Militant. As of a few years ago, the Sovereign Grand Lodge uh, allowed uh, a member to go directly from a lodge to a a a patriarch's militant. Okay, perfect. Now, and, 1870, that was shortly after the Civil War. And I seem yes. to remember that, that you told me that there were a lot of uh, odd fellows who were veterans of the Civil War. And yeah. they have uh, had a lot of their own Civil War swords that they kept after the war. And that they were interested in forming something that would allow them to um, be in uniform as odd fellows together. And uh, do you wanna, you wanna pick yeah. up on that? Yeah, some of this is oral history, but it's been substantiated. When I was doing my research for the Civil War book, I wrote about the odd fellows. Uh, I went into books uh, like this uh, from 1880s, The Patriarch's Militant. Uh, this is a very rare book. Nice. And I will read the obligation in a few minutes, uh, what the Patriarch's Militant uh, was uh, tasked with, mm -hmm. but uh, members right after the Civil War, and this is well documented in minutes, members after the Civil War had this sense of camaraderie, and what they would do is they would, and they wanted this brotherhood, they, I mean, they were tight during the Civil War, and when they would come to lodge, often the only clothes they had, and some just didn't let it go, would come to lodge meetings those veterans would come to lodge meetings in uniforms, hmm. wearing their, either their trousers or their blouses or their tops. Some would come in their caps and uh, remove them when they came into the lodge. But, but, and that was also at a time when some members, this, I, I know I, I digress a little bit, sorry. I digress a little bit, but sometimes you get uh, members who uh, came there who have lost their right arm. Mm -hmm. and they couldn't do the sign with their right arm. And that was a big thing uh, back then. They had to have uh, the Grand Lodge of the United States, which is now the Sovereign Grand Lodge, mm -hmm. approve these guys coming in who could give the signs with their left hands mm -hmm. and their left arms. You know, so so uh, that was a big deal, like the members coming to lodge in their uniforms. Mm -hmm. uh, and some would actually carry other remnants uh, from the war. Uh, some would carry canteens, some actually brought their swords, and they would get together, and, and it was felt a group should be started, and they, they made it allowable in the encampments where these guys could come in uniform, and that's how it kicked off. No, uh, it uh, kicked off in the encampment first, and so many wanted this. It was such a demand. Mm -hmm. By 1870, you had sovereign grand lodge approved to have the uniform but they said it would be done in the patriarchs militant mm -hmm. now i got a question for you about this and i don't know if this is just uh you know fanciful thinking or or, or not but you know it it kind of makes me wonder if these guys were really interested in showing up in lodge in their uniform 
whether or not it it may have had something to do with the fact that that was the nicest outfit that they had because i remember seeing a lot of pictures of odd fellows from you know way back when photography started and these guys were you know very well dressed and i remember seeing pictures of you know odd fellows as long as like you know 50 60 70 years ago and it's very common to have guys in in you know jackets and ties and and uh tuxedos uh, so, you know, I, I would imagine that because Oddfellows was much, much less casual, or sorry, much more, yeah, less casual than it is today, far more formal, that maybe uniforms were like their best outfit. I don't know. Is that maybe? Uh, it, it, not necessarily. Uh, okay. Remember, we ha I'm working on a book now, The Gold Rush, uh, mm. The Oddfellows During the Gold Rush. I, you can also see pictures old pictures of guys coming in in trout and in work clothes mm -hmm. taking these group photos and probably the best clothes they had hmm. and a uniform could either be seen as something um not the best clothing because some of it was worn mm -hmm. worn out or you could see it as if they're in full dress as being something very nice you're correct but Odd Fellowship uh, uh, covered the spectrum of members. Mm -hmm. We were called the the poor man's masons mm -hmm. at one time, and and where we we were we admitted more members across the board. Members came here uh, to California to mine for gold, for example. Mm -hmm. The only clothes they had at that time, uh, many became poor or were poor but they were members of the order and they would show up. And sometimes you see those images with them in, in disheveled uh, mm. clothing, uh, as well as you do see members in well-dressed, you see them in well-dressed clothing. So mm -hmm. I, I think uh, you can take that across the board. I think the photos that have survived, most of them that have survived are the of the well-dressed members. Uh, maybe they didn't want to have that image of of member but like i think we're pretty much the same today but we're less formal even in my time of being in the order for 30 years 30 plus years uh where i used to come to most of the events like installations for example or grand lodge uh in tuxedos mm -hmm. if you're an officer we came in tuxedos in the lodge tuxedos even and uh, many lodges wore uh, sport coats at mm -hmm. the very minimum ties and others uh we have come we have pulled back a little bit especially in this jurisdiction where uh, members come in uh they come clean but they're they're dressed down mm -hmm. quite a bit uh, yeah there is a change and i imagine uh that was the same back in the olden days uh not we didn't have all the judges we talk about our judges governors uh uh, everybody's uh, served in every capacity, but we also had very poor members in this order. It's just how they, who they accepted, how they accepted you and who they accepted. Yeah. I know that, you know, this, this comment about like being the poor man's uh, masons. I know that one of the differences uh, I, I, we did a, a session before about the differences between odd fellows and masons. And one of the big differences is uh, that the cost of membership annually, as my understanding is for Masons, is much higher than it is for um, Odd Fellows. Yeah, the, and, your annual dues could be 200 in some lodges and, and to get in could be up to 1,000 to 1,300, depending which Masonic lodge you're going to join. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit more ritualistic. You're going to have to do more memory work like we used to do here. Uh, even I had to do a lot of memorization here in the odd fellows. Now, when I say we're not uh, the poor man's mason, I don't mean that as degrading. Mm -hmm. I don't mean that uh, in a bad way. Sometimes that's a, a refreshing way because you're it's yeah, agreed. acceptance of everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, odd fellows accept women in the lodges. Odd fellows uh, accept, uh, I think, more of a spectrum. I think that's more realistic of how we interact with society. No, I completely I'd agree. Like I like that aspect about Odd Fellowship. It makes it more well, accessible. I understand the Masonic uh, mm -hmm. view too, and I, I like that that view as well. I, I mean, if a person wants to do that, great. If a person wants to do this, 
they, you know, they have choices. You want to join the Odd Fellows, you want to join the Masons. And nothing says your Odd Fellows can't dress up either. I mean, you can mm-hmm. come to a lodge meeting in a sport coat. I used to think that was cool. I think El Dorado Lodge Number no. 8 in Sacramento, uh, they used to wear uh, gold blazers. Just for the meetings, they have them at the lodge. They put them on for the meetings. Nice. I think uh, Sacramento Lodge wore a burgundy blazer. Mm-hmm. Sacramento number two, they would come to the meetings in their blazers. Uh, it looked sharp when you see them show up at the uh, at the conventions. You could tell which lodge by the color blazers. And mm. I always thought, and there was one that wore a light blue uh, 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 blazer as well. So, so I always liked that idea too. Uh, just something I I'd put on a blazer. If somebody asked, I do it anyway. I dress up coat tie. I, I wear tuxedos when I'm, I'm at events. I still mm-hmm. do that. It's, uh, I don't know. It's no. I don't get a lot of opportunity to do that, but right. I still do it. And if anyone wants to. No. Yeah. I, I completely, I completely agree. I, I was going to mention that the uh, cantons also uh, had a bit of a change where you, at a certain point, and I don't know if you know exactly when it was, but you didn't have to have a uniform, like a military uniform, at a certain point, where there was an alternative to having a full-dress uh, uniform, yes? Yes, uh, you can wear a, uh, uh, like we used to call our Charlies mm-hmm. in the Marine Corps, because I know you were in the Marines as mm-hmm. well, and our short-sleeve uh, 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 Charlies, you know, yeah, th- those are... Uh, those are um, allowable. Mm-hmm. So they're class B's is yeah. what I understand. I'm, uh, I'm joining a canton here in a couple days uh, on Monday, which is two, like three days from now. And so I have already, you know, made a purchase of my class B's. I'm going to get, I guess, a cap and a couple other things like that. And uh, I will be putting together my a full dress uniform and i guess it will take a while because it's not something you can just order out of a catalog yet like you used to be able to and you have to sort of build it right you can order or the order those but you have to order the the stripe that goes down your pant mm. you have to and sometimes you have to get that sewn on in some mm-hmm. cases and as you go up through the ranks uh, you know you'll know this you'll have to uh, alter your uniform, change your patches. Uh, as you know, Bonnie, my wife, was well, she served at the uh, the uh, general military council on the national level for uh, uh, General uh, Ken Laswell. Hmm. Who was the, Ken, Ken Laswell was the uh, commanding general two years ago for the uh, for that level for the depart hmm. for the uh, general military council. So, uh, what are the ranks then for? The canton the canton uh well you you have various seats in the canton the ranks could be uh, they used to have like i said remember we were talking about encampments they used to have like sergeant majors and so they used to have like an enlisted rank uh, uh structure as well hmm. and uh, i actually have those uniforms in our museum hmm. but we don't have those anymore obviously right. But there are several offices, several positions in the canton. And you could start anywhere like from ensign to uh, lieutenant and on your way up to captain and then past captain. But it also within the canton, um, I learned something the other day too, what they used to call the chaplain. I took a picture working on this Civil War book again. Hmm. I used to have... um, brigade chaplains so they even on the brigade level as you know we're broken down in in regiments and brigades Mm -hmm. and that's what this book covers by the way nice california i know i'm again here i'm going off again but there to answer your question there are several positions uh within the um within a canton now you'll each patch identifies you you could be the clerk you could be um, uh, just the chaplain. Mm-hmm. Each patch would identify you as for that particular office. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in that regard, that would be like the Navy's equivalent to a rate, you know, mm-hmm. a rating. So you combine these both. So you, you're going to be wearing a patch. You're going to be wearing a, 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 a rank insignia. You're going to be wearing all that. But they, so then rank 
and uh, uh, office kind of go independently of each other then, yes? Yes, yes. Okay, gotcha. Yes, and, and then you have the, you know, and, and the basic, what you're going to be when you join is a Chevrolet. We're mm -hmm. all, you know, you're going to be a Chevrolet. So if you don't hold any office and you're not, you're not holding any that ensign seat or that lieutenant seat or that, or the uh, uh, captain seat, you're going to be a Chevrolet. Mm -hmm. Now, this also parallels with the swords, yes? Yes. Uh, well, the sword, now the sword's a little different. In your canton, you're going to have a sword like this. Right. As a matter of fact, I've already picked up myself one off of eBay. So let me show, you know, mine. This one's, uh, it's pretty nice looking. Yeah. Good shape. Uh-huh. Very nice sword. You picked up a nice sword. And what you want to do if you, I didn't know if you had sword drill. I, unfortunately, I was a gunnery sergeant in the Marine Corps and went to the staff NCO Academy where I learned about swords and uh, I know most of the odd fellows don't bother, but you should learn uh, what the pommel is and, and what the uh, the hilt, you know, the those things, the grip, uh, the blade, you know, you have the whatever knuckle bow, you know, you, you don't have it on this one, but some have them. Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to have to learn those things. If you want to learn those things, somebody's going to ask you because right now, for example, uh, a few years ago when Canton 5 reactivated, uh, we got that started. Bonnie led that effort. She started two Cantons here in California. Mm -hmm. uh, personally, she just really got interested. And, and it is interesting. Uh, the more she became interested, believe it or not, I became interested. I was never interested in the Canton. <laughs> now, then I'm moving myself up slowly and I became the captain, you know, past captain, but I never needed that. I was too busy being a grand master and a grand patriarch and a grand representative. Mm -hmm. I'm a director emeritus. So I, I was doing everything else. I don't need the Canton, but, but you know what, since reading about the history and learning, opening up these books, I really have a greater respect for the Canton now. So these swords, uh, several years ago, when we were putting together the Canton, we put an appeal out to members in, in a, a Patriarch Militant in the department. If you have any extra uh, parts or swords, uniforms, anything. And Don Lang gave us about eight broken swords. Hmm. Wrote, you know, I mean, the missing uh, parts. and Yeah, I, I think I'm actually missing a piece on. Uh, so this is another sword that I, I just picked up. Uh, I, I, you haven't seen this one, I don't think. Uh, but this this one is the officer's sword, as you've you've mentioned to me. Now, um, on most of the uh, officer swords that I've seen online, they typically have an etching yes. uh, on this part right here. But this one is blank. Uh, but the thing that I've noticed is is that on the on the flip side, where it says you know PM, the Patriarch's Militant, it seems like it might be missing something here. Would that be correct? Uh, you know, I look at ours. We have one in the museum. It could be. Yeah, it looks like it might be missing another flap. Yeah. Another uh, guard. So mm -hmm. what we're going to do is uh, I'll take a look and see if we I, we don't have too many officer swords. I, we only have one in the museum and I'll, I'll get it. What I'm going to lead right into that. Okay. We ended up with these eight sword parts and swords mm -hmm. and scabbards. And and so what we did is we took these swords and we cannibalized. Mm -hmm. We managed to put together two full swords. Wow. I, had my, I had my friend who's a welder weld on the one just because of screw on the top where the pummel and the, and, uh, and the um, oh, let me get that straight, uh, where it, it screws down. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a little crown at the top. It sits yes. on top of the pummel. Mm -hmm. Well, that part was missing and the screw part was broken off. So my friend welded this, uh, the threaded part and we were able to put it all together and we ended up with one full sword. And the other one, we, we put together the entire sword as well. So we ended up with two full swords with scabbards out of those eight parts. Very nice. So it's very important that cantons and members don't throw away, even if you just have a scabbard. It's very valuable to it. Even if you have this one little brass part of this ring, anything is valuable to it. If you just have the sword, the, the blade, 
it, uh, it's very important. Um, anything, any part, as you can see on your sword, you need. Uh, so we were able to put together two. And since that time, we had about four donated. So we maintain these in our canton. We give those to our canton. So our canton is built up. Uh, plus, we purchased two more. So I think we have like eight or nine that are kept in our building mm -hmm. for meetings. So if we mm -hmm. ever want to practice a sword drill, we have these available. You don't always in our when we have our meetings, we don't have our swords out. It depends what you want to use them for. It's good to practice sword drill. I I wasn't a good instructor because I'm more like disciplined. I'm too disciplined. You hold it four inches from your, you know, but that's oh, yeah. you no, do. You I should remember learn, that. You should learn the sword drill because when you reach the department level, I mean the uh, the general military council, if you mm -hmm. happen to attend one of those um, in another state, Bonnie, she she participated in, and so did Deborah Laverne, I think, and Mel Astrahan, members from our jurisdiction, uh, attended and, and competed. This was the first time a, a couple of years ago. They have this, uh, oh, I have to ask Bonnie. I think she's here now, but I have to ask her what it's called. Uh, it's like a runoff, you know. Mm -hmm. In fact, that off is used in it where they have a drill, a sword competition and you're given these beautiful badges, even for third place mm. and second place. It's like going out to the shooting range. You know, you're given mm -hmm. this little badge to wear on your your uniform. You have a tremendous, uh, I'm going to call him a drill master in your canton. It would would be, uh, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Will Schuyler. He, Will I believe, Schuyler. is uh, Brigadier General, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah he is, uh, he is, uh, uh, he he's proficient in the sword and you can see when he wears his uniform he has all these sword awards mm -hmm. well, you know you're lucky to have him because we don't have enough members like that in the, in the canton teaching the sword drill who can probably teach it mm -hmm. uh, i mean you, you well, can know sword drill but i could probably do that I mean, yeah. uh, you know, a couple reasons why, you know, I mean, I went to NCO school and learned how to drill with a sword. I was graded on that sort of thing, just like you yeah. were when you went to staff NCO school. And, you know, it's 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 something that it takes a lot of hours to really get proficient at. But once you uh, do it, it's unlikely that you're going to really forget it. It'll come back quickly, I think. And yeah. uh, the other thing is that uh, I have been working as an instructor of some sort for like, you know, 20, 30 years now. So well, I'm used to teaching now. people how to do things. And, you know, um, I, uh, <laughs> you know, I just need to avoid the temptation like you were, you were talking about, about being a little too uh, proficient with people about it. Like, you know, uh, you know, because people people have different learning styles and, you know, it doesn't always work to just try to teach people in one way. You have to kind of uh, have uh, an understanding of, of what will work to teach people. So there are a number of different ways of doing that. So I, I look forward to doing that, but I'm just I'm, I haven't even been I haven't joined my canton yet. I've got my swords, which is exciting. Well, great. You're, you're getting ready. And that's very important. People come up and they don't have uniforms yet. They're in they're in their civilian clothes and and uh, and it, so you do have to build it can be very expensive it could be seven hundred dollars putting together one of these things you know piece by piece and it's work uh, to do that and that's frankly that's why we don't have a lot of people coming into that branch at, at one time because you know times are aren't the best right now uh, no. our members but um question for you now this is something that like i've i'm really fascinated with this part now i i would like to get into uh discussing the um tomb of the unknown soldier you know visit you know the, every year and that's something that the the patriarchs militant uh does uh by district i i assume it's district that that they visit uh, but the other thing is that i understand that with the uniform the class a uh, uniform for Canton that I can wear my ribbons that I uh, was awarded on active duty, you know, military, right? That's yeah, correct. Any, any or any military ribbons of any branch, you, you're mm -hmm. able, 
you can wear. That's You're pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, badges as well. So mm. I, I have an EOD badge, of course, and I have a... Get your crab. I have, <laughs> I have, I have about... Um, I, I would... You know why I don't wear those? Because there's a point... I, I'm very respectful, and I'm appreciative of every medal and award I've ever received, but, you know... I always kind of made jokes when I saw these guys. I, I usually post, if you ever seen these images of Russians mm -hmm. you know, with these oh, yeah. uniforms go, oh, <laughs> it's always become comical to me. And, and it was at one time, I recall officers were able just to wear their personal decorations in mm -hmm. some circumstances. I would like that, you know, to wear my personal decorations, which I have three and and leave the other ones aside because it's a lot easier to deal with, frankly, uh, inspection, because then you have to buy all those bars and that's just as much time putting it together. It's an honor though. I would do it yeah. if I was asked to do it. But yeah, you are permitted to wear your government uh, 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 medals and badges. Definitely. Oh, uh, I, impressive. I personally don't have what we used to jokingly call a fruit salad, you know, to wear. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I've got a few rows of ribbons, which is great. You know, I always, um, I always enjoyed having those, you know, it's not like I ever expected to retire and, and have, you know, a, a row after row of, uh, places that I've been and units that I've served with that have won awards. Right. Uh, but yeah, those personal decorations are certainly far more, um, well, personal, obviously, well, they're right. more meaningful, I think. I didn't yeah. mean any disrespect. No, it, I mean, oh, even, no, no, no. even I was proud to go overseas, too. So, I, I, of course, I'd wear my overseas ribbon. Of course, you know, I, I was just saying it becomes a, a more work for. I don't want to say people have to wear them, you know, mm -hmm. but you're permitted to wear them. Right. And, you know, you were in for, I don't know how many years you were in 20 the years, 20. Yeah. I was going to say, I got an early out cause I saved so much leave. I got about, uh, uh, 19 and something. So oh. I would, well, that's nice. But, uh, you know, I, I could certainly imagine that, you know, being in, in the military for as many years as you were, uh, that there has to be a certain point where it's like dealing with ribbons just becomes a chore, you know? So, yeah, I don't know if you ever reach that point, uh, but I can certainly understand it. It does, because during inspections, I, I wore this ribbon. I don't mean, again, no disrespect to any officers or, or inspectors. Mm -hmm. I wore this ribbon I had, and and uh, I had come from overseas and Desert Storm, and I came back with quite a few ribbons, and I was getting awarded like every month another mm -hmm. ribbon, you know, and I'm in an inspection with a very general inspection in one of the squadrons, and he had a supply major inspecting all of us. And I was a staff, in, I think I was still a staff sergeant at that time. And he steps in front of me and he says, your ribbon is dirty. <laughs> and I'm like, I just bought that. It's not dirty. You just don't know your ribbons. And mm -hmm. I, at that point, I realized that, and I would think I was 32 years old at that time, been in 14 years. I don't really want to be here, you know, but I still, I mean, I wanted to be with my guys in the ordinance field. Well, yeah. And, 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 you know, good for you for sticking it out. I mean, I reached my point at about eight years and I was like, I have had enough of the games and uh, I want to get on with my life. instead older. of. Yeah. And you're, you got 18 year olds next year and the next, next platoon over and you're all being talked to the, the same way. And mm -hmm. it's a, that's hard to deal with. And, and uh, I hate to share that here with so many people. But, uh, well, no, 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 no. I mean, look, this, the, 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 the Canton, uh, which, by the way, synonymously, we, we call it the Patriarch's Militant, yes. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a military. Collective you know, Cantons that create yeah. the department. Right. It's, it's all, you know, military founded it's that 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 part of it is the same and i would imagine that you know anybody who's been in uh patriarchs militant for a number of years you know i'm sure that you know they enjoy it i'm sure that there's probably a lot of really great things about it but you know just like the military i'm sure that there's times whenever it's like oh gosh you're gonna do this again you know and it's like uh uh not uh, you know it's not 
I, I don't have any experience with it. And I'm sure that it's probably a lot um, uh, more relaxed than being in the military, at least. Oh, very uh, relaxed. And you're, you're going to like it. Mm -hmm. I, I I'm just, sure. And this is, this is why I talked about that, that, that sword drill, mm -hmm. and the, the award, the competition. Most of our, our, our patriarch militants, they're unaware of it. They're unaware there's a huge general military council. If you go to the main convention in the United States, you go mm -hmm. there and you get to see this wonderful marching. Mm -hmm. You get to see guys taking pride. You get to see them wearing all their medals. You get to see all those officers' swords. You learn so much. I learned so much in the last few years when Bonnie was going through it. Mm -hmm. What's that green rope mean? What's that red rope mean? I didn't know that here. I've been all these things and done all I've been 30 years and I'm learning. I'm <laughs> learning. And, and that's what I needed to do. And it gave me a greater appreciation for this order uh, because they're the, the people are dressed up and, and it's a nice level. It's a you'll feel proud when you're at that level. It's an area of pride in this order. Yeah. So now you complete your degrees. Now, and mm -hmm. now listen. If people only get the first, the initiatory degree and stay a member, there's no requirement to get more, but you miss out on so much. You get the other three degrees and, you know, and all of a sudden you have, you're in the odd fellows lodge, you have all your degrees and you think, well, I want to try the encampment degrees. And so mm -hmm. you get three more degrees, which are very easy, easy, simple. Masonic degrees, they have 32, 33 actually, but 32 degrees, you can whip 10 of those off in one day. Mm -hmm. You know they're very easy to do, and they're very easy to do in our in our in our uh, encampment degrees mm -hmm. as well. And then you get the final degree, you know, of, uh, in the patriarch militant, you know, uh, universal justice. So that's a very important one. You get the entire aspect, and as you're going up, eventually you become a noble grand. You get the grand lodge degree, which you're going to be up for, and then you can get the grand encampment degree. Only takes a few minutes, and then you keep moving up. And if you keep moving up, you can uh, be active in the uh, this the sovereign grand lodge level. Mm -hmm. And so it depends how far you want to go in this order. Right. And there's not a requirement. Um, you know, like we're talking about sword drill, and we're talking about you know going all out with your uniform and all that. There's obviously a minimum level of participation it's not like you're required to do all of these other things so i think that it's great that it's like you can you can be a part of it and everything else after that is elective you know so i think that's really a great aspect like for example going to the uh tomb of the unknown soldier which is something i alluded to earlier uh so were but, you did you get to go uh to many times many yeah? times uh, you want to uh, talk about that a little bit, and then we'll we'll. I know that this whole episode is really about swords. Let me but, let me let's interrupt this one second I, sure. while we're on swords. So mm -hmm. we want to keep a a talk. Now we have this sword. We have the officer's sword that you have as well. Mm -hmm. You have this one too. Okay. Uh, there's also swords we see online that uh, more are straight, flat. Um, not as decorative, and but they say IOF on those mm -hmm, swords, right. or they have FL and T, or sometimes you see the three links mm -hmm. on the uh, the handle, the grip, or you see it, you see in various places. Those are from catalogs that were those are used in degrees. Mm -hmm. So if a if a new person is coming in the order, they should know that sword is not used in the PM. Mm -hmm. Okay, those are used in, the, in the, primarily the first, second degrees of Odd Fellowship. The soldiers wear those during the degrees. Hmm. Those are Odd Fellow swords, and uh, but they're not um, PM swords. So uh, they're only functioning here. Yeah. If I was at our museum, I'd show you one. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have one of those swords with me. Well, uh, I can pop a picture of one up right here. Okay. Boom, there it is. So that's that's exactly what those swords look like and uh but so then the, the point is those are only for conferring degrees yes yes okay. and then, then the other thing i know i know i spoke with you about this or, or wrote about it when i went to uh visit lodges and lodges would ask me well what is this sword and what is that sword and identifying things uh for their new they wanted to establish museums mm -hmm. and uh 
what I would find, uh, it, we we're talking about the Civil War veterans coming in. What mm -hmm. I find, I came so far in this order, I've come across four lodges that had had actual Civil War swords mm. in, their, uh, in their degree. So members <laughs> used to bring their, their personal swords and donate them to the lodge to be used during the degree work because the swords were expensive to buy out of catalogs. Sure. If you had a member in a home and say, hey, I've got these swords, but they came from the Civil War. One was presented to me when they found out how interested I was uh, by the old San Leandro Lodge. They gave me one. And hmm. so I treasure that. I went to St. Helena. They asked me to look in their closet. And, and I, uh, you know, they're thinking these swords are the most valuable, you know, and that sword and the officer's sword. And I'm going through their swords. And then I, I, I remember saying, um, well, you see that sword there all rusted and worn out at mm -hmm. Sabre? Mm -hmm. That's a Civil War sword. That's actually worth more all the, than these combined. Mm -hmm. So uh, now they, I'm sure they treasure that sword. So it's interesting to be able to identify. So swords come in various styles, and they're there for different reasons. Uh, your officer's sword is very important, and you may get that piece. I'm going to go look and see if I, I have a box of pieces okay. as well Great. in our museum that we put things together to preserve them. We're going to take a, a look at that, but that's how you put your stuff together. Mm -hmm. And those are, that's mainly the coverage on swords. Mm -hmm. Now going to the, the, to the tomb of the unknown, the tomb of the unknown, I've been there several times. It's quite an honor. And while I'm there at Arlington, or, or in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi. You can go to either one now. Uh, that's, uh, they started that one uh, three years ago, four years ago. And, and that's the Confederate Tomb of the Confederate Unknown. And that's done in February. Uh, I was there last year with Bonnie. We bestowed a wreath. Um, you have to uh, look at that in a way of historical and honor uh, those two uh, aspects uh, when you go to these places. Mm -hmm. uh, the Tomb of the Unknown, it's impressive to see uh, our members. They're not allowed to bring the swords in Arlington, but they're allowed to come in. Uh, they're in full uniform. They march. Uh, they bestow, the, the leaders bestow the wreath. I've had that honor myself when I was Grand Master. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing to do. Bonnie did it as well. She represented our, our department here. In California, uh, when the when our uh, department commander could not attend, so we were able to do that as husband and wife. I actually have a picture of that on my phone. Hmm. Uh, maybe I'll send that to you. Uh, but we bestowed the wreath there, and that was really an honor. Now you do it from below the tomb. The tomb. You hmm. used to do it from the top, uh, laying the wreath. Now you do it right. from below because we lay so many as an order, hmm. up to, one for each state that yeah. we represent and so it it is quite an honor you get to watch the honor guard the changing of the guard i was also fortunate to uh, uh have a friend who is one of the, who was uh, he's i think he's like number 510 or 511 there's badges for each uh, tomb guard uh, there's less of those than there are astronauts uh, they, they uh, work very hard in their uniforms uh, it, it's probably the only place in the army they work so hard on their uniforms um, coming from a marine as you know that says a lot yeah guys are squared away they're sharp they know every uniform trick there is i mean i used to know the tricks and as you do you know we wore garters we were we use safety pins we use pins mm -hmm. we use in our belts you know i mean everything they know every trick um these guys are really good but um, I, I, the, the gentleman I know is Ethan Morse, and he's a friend of mine. And, and uh, he got to give me the ins and outs and, and how that operates. But going back to the, uh, the having our order there, it is a time of honor and it is a time of reflection. But I would encourage everyone to attend that event in Arlington because you can also get there early as a spectator. Uh, not necessarily a participant, and you could visit like Audie Murphy's uh, uh, is buried just uh, a few feet away from the the amphitheater where mm -hmm. the 
where the Sovereign Grand Lodge and the, and the GMC prevent, present their programs before uh, they start the march to, mm -hmm. the, to present the wreaths. It's quite involved. I know I'm talking uh, something. You actually have to see it to, to understand it. Uh, the Tomb of the Unknown uh, in, in Biloxi, Mississippi, uh, that's quite an honor as well. Uh, very reverent. Very, um, uh, you get to learn about the historical aspects of the war. Uh, and, and, and you get to respect those, those who have died as well. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a good balance because, as you know, our, as I, we started off in this program, our order's diverse. Uh, we have members of the South. We have members in the North mm -hmm. and, and uh, members of all walks of life and all beliefs. And we have to respect that. And uh, so if, if they want to do that down in the South, that's fine. They want to do that back there in, in, in Arlington, that's fine. It's, it's quite an honor. I would encourage members to get out and do that. Any activity like that in this order is is um, is is encouraged. Yeah, and I have actually heard uh, that there are some odd fellows that get involved with uh, uh, retiring flags, you know, uh, and and doing those sorts of of, of things with because you know you can't just simply throw an American flag away. You know, you have to properly oh, no. dispose of it. Have you heard much about that sort of thing? I mean, I've, I've, I've heard that. I, I know uh, Ventura, I know lodges have been involved in that. Oddfellows take part in that as well. Uh, you know, they, they team up with the, like the American Legion who disposes flags. They burn them, mm -hmm. but they're burned in a very, dis, uh, a very. That's a ceremony. Yeah. It, yeah. I don't know. The word naturally disrespectful comes out of me as a Marine, but it's very respectful. Yes. You know, anytime I see a flag and that's, again, that's a, that's a, a person's personal preference. And, mm -hmm. but it's, uh, if, if you see it done as a former vet, um, I mean, as a vet, it's, mm -hmm. it can be uh, taken uh, uh, a, a certain way. Right. I would like to read the obligation. This might be sure. of interest to anybody watching this. This was the obligation written in 18, uh, 1889. And, and for, for anybody who doesn't really know what the obligation is, like somebody's not an odd fellow. You want oh. to explain what an obligation is? Obligation is uh, like uh, attesting uh, to your honor. Like, uh, isn't it more like an oath? Yeah, it's is an oath. It? Okay. You're, you're swearing to, uh, to uphold certain things. Uh, you're, mm -hmm. putting your, you're putting your word. You're giving your word. Mm -hmm. to do x y and z you know each obligation is different as you're going to see here now the obligation then is not the same as it is today now the, again this is written about 140 years ago mm -hmm. so uh, 131 years ago mm -hmm. 32 years ago so uh, you would say i state your name and so you would say your name with my approved free will and accord before these living noble witnesses do thus voluntarily promise and obligate myself to defend maidens, <laughs> wives, widows, and orphans in their rights, to relieve the distress, to permit no extortion so far as I may be able to prevent it, to support those who are weak and powerless to maintain their rights, and to administer justice to the advancement of honor and the suppression of vice. All of which I, in this presence, do avow it my purpose and intention to perform to the uttermost bounds of human ability, under penalty which shall be no less than degradation caused by the loss of my personal and military honor. Hmm. Now that's quite impressive. Uh, I wish we did the same obligation today. Can you imagine society? We'd be out there swatting people with our swords all over the place. And anyway, <laughs> uh, I thought that was interesting. Um, uh, Defending the honor of maidens. That's quite a uh, chivalrous thing to do. And that's what we are. We're, yeah. we're chevaliers. So um, anyway, this book is, uh, is fantastic. In the back of this book, I wonder if I never really looked for swords, but they're, oh yeah, here's swords. Oh, we should probably also point out um yes yeah 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 that's the officer's sword yeah 
should probably also point out that uh, besides the independent order of odd fellows having swords i've seen several uh grand united order of odd fellows swords as well so whenever you're looking at them on ebay you look for if it says g-u-o-o-f or i-o-o-f on them yeah so that's the regular sword yeah that's a regular sword uh uh, here's here's something we talked about enlisted ranks. I know we have some. Oh, here's something. Here's the uniform. They they also had banners as well. Mm -hmm. Isn't cool. Nice. This is the patriarchs militant back then were. Wow. This book is full of these wonderful plates. Full. Uh -huh. So, yeah, the swords, uh, you know, here's some of the cats, field regimental staff. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. We have a few different ones in our museum. Mm-hmm. Those. Sorry about that. I should That's no, all right. It'd be hard to get these to you, but uh, you get an idea. And then you mm -hmm. have awards uh, within the... Uh, within the order which yeah, i was going to say that you were showing somebody that was on horseback that had a banner that had this you know white cross and in the middle of the white cross was a, a heart was it a heart yeah i know that that one is a particular um award you have a major general division mm -hmm. uh, you have uh headquarters mm -hmm. there's so many so many different types of plates. This doesn't do it justice, but they're mm -hmm. plate after plate. Then it goes into the state flags, jurisdictional mm. flags. Mm. Um, like I said, this here's Canton from Louisville, Kentucky. See, Louisville, Kentucky. Very nice. You'll see these banners. We still have a banner for California, but these these banners were quite colorful, as the members were in their uniforms. Uh, then they broke it down to how they march, how they drill. Um, a little different in the uh, service. Uh, this is the colors, the Patriarch Militant colors. This is what our flag would look like mm -hmm. right here. Yeah. And I was going to say, they probably don't have much uh, horseback uh, mounted uh, Patriarch Militant anymore. That, but but they did, you know, at they one did. time it's evident they did because it was in this book. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what the, the benefit of uh, being a historian and reading. Uh, I just I just really get into that. And I would recommend the, the book. And you, I've heard other members do it as well. Uh, written by uh, uh, James Ridgely. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I would recommend that book the best. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but the history of Odd Fellowship. That's a pretty good book, and it really talks about the beginning of Odd Fellowship and the creation of the encampments, the lodges, the degrees, uh, how they were established, the breakaway from the from the uh, Manchester Unity mm -hmm. in the 1840s, um, it, and the reasons for that. It, it what didn't have anything to do with uh, uh, blacks in the order, and nothing to do with that. So. Uh, it's just understanding the history of our order. Mm -hmm. Again, uh, this is uh, an important thing to talk about swords, though. I'm going to go back to one more thing about swords. Saved all the parts again. I can't emphasize that enough. Swords right now, I'll give you the cost. As you've been shopping around, you can get a decent Oddfellow sword around the range of $150 to $200. Uh, the regular PM sword, mm -hmm. the officer's swords. You showed me one the other day. Uh, you don't get those too often. Mm -hmm. uh, those don't come up too often. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I know. I think that started at two ninety nine. Two ninety nine. Yeah. Uh, that that is probably uh, if you're getting it under uh, uh, 400, 500, I think you're. That's probably the ballpark. For getting a new, if you wanted to get the old kind with an mm -hmm. ivory handle, mm -hmm. um, if you're getting a used one with an ivory handle, that's the ballpark. Ivory is mm -hmm. very expensive, original ivory. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, to to have it made would be illegal. Right. Yeah. So, uh, 
Um, and, uh, you know, just, just, uh, just as an FYI, I, uh, typically shop hard on eBay. So my regular, um, uh, Patrix Milton store that I got, I actually got it for $66. Then you got a steal. You yeah. got a great steal because that yeah. goes in range, um, around 150, mm -hmm. but you can find them for, like I said, cheaper, look around. But if you ever see a group of sword parts, you know, for a hundred bucks, you get eight sword parts, you know, and scabbards. And, uh, you know, sometimes you ask your Canton or members, Hey, can we put together and get all this stuff? And then you're still appealing to, to people and to get other things and, and other parts continually do that. You'll never know when one little part comes in handy. I have a sword right now. I just need, I just need the, the top part. I need this little crown, right? Mm -hmm. here. Uh, yeah. Here, taking it off. It's so easy to take these apart and to clean them. Mm -hmm. We need this part right here. Uh huh. So, Gotcha. You need this little crown here. Mm -hmm. You could, you could need, and it all sits on this little screw. I was talking about my friend welded one day. Mm -hmm. These get welded on, so these can be repaired. Mm -hmm. And each part breaks down, and this is how you clean it. Anyway. Well, uh, I want to begin wrapping things up with uh, this conversation. I'm really glad that you. Uh, have taken the time to do this. Now, you did tell me that there is a, a particular story about a sword. Um, would you like to relay that story before we wrap things up? Uh, the, it, it, it just dealt with uh, uh, the Civil War store, uh, sword. We had one in our museum. We had a, we're, I was showing a gentleman, a member, a noble grand of California Lodge Number no. 1 here in San Francisco that started in 1849. Uh, he took a he, he wanted to create a museum and start knowing about the things they had in their closet, mm -hmm. a large closet full of odd fellows memorabilia and items. And he wanted to learn more. And it turned out he was giving me a lesson and on, on, uh, on swords. And mm -hmm. it just, he was a sword expert and he's the one who turned me on to uh, uh, civil war swords. You see that sword right there? That's a Civil War sword, and that's quite valuable. And he he told me about, uh, you know, the, being a saber, and this was carried by an officer, and he knew a lot. And that's where I learned a lot. So if you, the more you share, the more you learn. Uh, writing books gives me a lot of feedback. So what I learn in books and doing the research, I get about ten percent back in feedback where I'm filling in the holes. So I get a great understanding of this order. That's what he was doing for me. Mm -hmm. And um, his name was uh, Chris Zek. Mm -hmm. Chris Zek, brothers, Chris Zek. Um, I had to make sure, I'm not sure if that was him or his last name, but I had to check with his member and that's the name he assured me. But I remember his name being Chris. And so uh, whatever whatever that guy gave me a lesson on swords and I was able to learn and be open-minded when you do this stuff. Uh, and not to you, but I know you're open-minded. I am definitely. Mm -hmm. If somebody has something to tell you, don't take it as uh, they're trying to better you take that knowledge and build upon it. And it's very useful when you're trying to learn history, you're trying to learn everything. Uh, when people tell me what to do, or, or I mean, not about things, I listen mm -hmm. I, and I thank them because I learned something more and uh, learn about these swords because you don't want to end up buying a, 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 a I don't know, a, Pith a Knights of Pythia sword <laughs> thinking you could use it in the odd fellows, you know, you right. might be able to use it to practice drill, you know, but uh, you know, you want to know what swords you're going to get and, and ask somebody else, you know, ask one of us and hopefully this will help you. Again, this is the main sword you want to get if you're going to join a canton right and that's um i i think this is like a leather um yeah part that is wrapped leather, they in plastic too they, oh, this, plastic yeah yeah this is plastic here oh this yeah i was gonna say mine's leather this is not going to fall apart or rot but right. if you get leather use a little leather oil or mink mm -hmm. oil right you know, take care of your sword constantly clean it bonnie cleans hers hmm. And, um, yeah, I need to polish mine. 
Usually Quite a bit. old ones with, with names on them. They're used. They used to mm -hmm. engrave the names. The blades yeah. are beautiful. They have all our symbols. Mm -hmm. And these, the parts, again. Uh, Brother Mel Astrahan showed me something. Some swords uh, have a little tiny cameo. And, and I never seen that at the at the base of the of the scabbard on the uh, what they call the drag. The now, tip. is is that on the officer sword or the? You know, it's on a few swords. I guess it depended. It depend depended on which uh, uh, company or catalog you had purchased your sword from. I have an acorn on mine. Oh, you do. I, I'm talking about a, a regular separate uh, ivory color. Uh, device that would sit in there about the size of, I'd say, uh, a quarter inch. That yeah, would this has a hole. Yeah, that's it. It would, or, sit, it would sit in there in uh -huh. that spot. And uh -huh. here, this one, you see this one here? Yeah. This one here doesn't, it has little, little, uh, little lines in it. So they put oh, a sign in yeah. it. So they're all a little different. It all depended which manufacturer you purchase which catalog you purchase your sword but they're all acceptable they're all pm swords this yours, one yours would this have one a, doesn't have it there's no little a, window yours would and that window would have a little cameo little ivory cameo that that you could set in there mel astrahan actually has several of those hmm. so if you're able to uh I know you know Brother Mel. If you're able mm -hmm. to contact him and I, hey, say Pete Sellers told me about a cameo, it's not too common to see mm -hmm. that, and it's probably not common knowledge. And and uh, but you pick up things like that. You learn from things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, when somebody tells you about something, uh, it just gives you another aspect about these swords. But no that you still have the right sword. This is the right sword if you don't have the cameo because at that time, and we collect catalogs from the 1800s, th there were hundreds of companies selling different types of swords, mm -hmm. but they would create this odd fellow sword, but be little variations. Right. Now, I would imagine that, uh, uh, you know, most of those swords that you're talking about were uh, not ones that you could actually cut things with right i know that there is a certain point whenever uh they started selling swords that they do not have a sharp edge listen, so uh old ones have a sharp edge and uh, believe it or not um now now i'm not an expert here but mm -hmm. when speaking to chris he said uh, the officer's swords were dull in the civil war they did more damage hmm. believe it or not i i don't we're watching movies with sharp edges and, and but he said in the, in the war, most of the swords were dull. Hmm. He said they would do more damage just hitting you and, and, and killing you with that sword. Hmm. Uh, they can knock you down. They could do more damage. Said swords, you know, that just because the blade is dull doesn't mean it, it wasn't used in the war. Hmm. And, and I got that from this Civil War sword expert. So that, there's another aspect. I'm glad. Mm -hmm. Great question. Great question. See, I, I learned something and I, I can actually attribute it to somebody who told me. And, and uh, if a sword expert tells me that, and then I'm going to believe them. So I'm sure other people have validated that as well. All right. Well, uh, listen, Peter, I don't know if there's anything you want to say in closing before I invite everybody to hit the subscribe button. Uh, but uh, you want to go ahead and uh, say something to wrap up? I just want to say thank you for allowing me to share some of the knowledge that, that I have locked up in here and, and bring out books that I have from my, my library. And I just really enjoy talking about history and it just renews it and solidifies it for me. I learned from, from this discussion as well. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. And I always appreciate having you on because you're such, uh, you've got such a depth of knowledge. You know, it's always really great, you know, hearing your stories that uh, you uh, learn from your research, you know, that people wouldn't otherwise, you know, know those because they're kind of locked away in those books of all those, you know, uh, 
old uh, minutes of different, you know, Grand Lodges and Sovereign Grand Lodge and all that sort of stuff in the history book. So, you know, uh, you're a, a font of uh, knowledge for sure. Thank so uh, thank you for taking the time to be on uh, this podcast with me. And uh, again, just a reminder, if you guys, if you're watching this and you really like this podcast, please subscribe and uh, share it with your friends. So uh, thank you, Peter. And uh, thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you.